0: series this morning uh, on the Holy Spirit, and um, really excited about it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please open to Ephesians chapter 1. You've heard that one of the favorite things a pastor um, hears or sees on Sunday morning is people flipping their Bibles open. So we do put it in the bulletin, but if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn it there. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, is what we're going to be teaching on this morning. Okay, let's start. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, I am really excited today and for these coming weeks, Lord, where we are we're gonna dig into the scriptures and see what you have to say to us about the Holy Spirit, your precious Holy Spirit. The Spirit that was that filled Christ when He walk the earth, uh, anointing him for life and godliness and ministry. And uh, I pray you would help us this morning in the coming weeks to receive not just information, not not just correct, a correct doctrinal position on certain truths regarding the Spirit, but I pray that we would come to encounter the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come and visit us over these next months. That you would come and reveal yourself and manifest yourself and fill afresh and um, make your all of your ministries in our life manifest, known, experienced in our lives as we step through this series. And that Christ would get glory and honor in it for he is the one who purchased this precious gift for us on the cross so god i pray that you'd help me now in the next moments that i would speak your words that i would uh, impart your truth that my words would not just be my words but my preaching would be in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that uh, faith this morning would rest in your power And not my words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to just take the liberty, and hopefully you'll give that to me, um, to do a bit of introduction on this series, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 1 here in a bit, and I'm just going to spend uh, a shortened amount of time on this text. You know, it's hard to overestimate or overstate the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Um, it's, it's hard to overstate. It. It's, hard, it's hard to overestimate. It's hard to speak um, too much about our need for the Spirit of God. There's a verse that has um, challenged me to no end uh, for the last five years, at least, maybe longer. And that's John 16, 7, where Jesus, speaking to his disciples that he had walked with for three years, he said, I tell you the truth. And whenever Jesus said that, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you have an old you know, King James version, whenever he says that, it's like, listen up. He has something really important to say. He said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, I won't send the helper to you. But if I go, I'll send him. Now, what makes that even more challenging than just like, wow, that's kind of an interesting statement is that these guys had walked with Jesus in the flesh for three years. They had seen Jesus do extraordinary things. They had been sent by Jesus to do extraordinary things. They had rubbed shoulders with him. They ate with him. They camped out with him. They walked with him. They did life with him for three years. And he said this most amazing statement. It's it's actually to your advantage. It's going to be better for you that you don't walk with me in the flesh anymore. And I just find that mind-boggling. So it's hard to overestimate the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. Um, I get these daily emails, um, not every day, but they're supposed to come out daily, um, called Of First Importance. It's gospel emails, gospel-centered emails. And I put one up on the, the scrolling uh, uh, screen this morning. It's from George Smeaton. And listen to what he says. This is written, he said this 175 years ago. With his resurrection, the day came when he showed that the great result of his atoning death was the power of bestowing the Spirit upon others. A blessing so momentous that it may be described as that in which all other blessings are included. A blessing that is so gigantic, so momentous, so enormous that it could be said it's the the blessing in which every other blessing that we receive through Christ is, is included in the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that's just him saying that. I think that's what, I think Galatians chapter 3, which we're not going to get into this morning, seems to indicate that as well. Richard Lovelace, who wrote a book on evangelical uh, evangelical theology for renewal, for Holy Spirit renewal, says this in relation to the Holy Spirit, that we should live with a profound awareness that we are always face-to-face with God. That as we move through life, the presence of His Spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment. And I wonder if that's true for us. I wonder if that's if that's how we live. Um, I can honestly say that I need to grow in this. I want to grow in this. I know that there is more of the Holy Spirit to be experienced. I know that there, I mean, I, I think I probably have a pretty good doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're born again by the Spirit. You know, he, he regenerates us. He's at work in us to renew us. He empowers us for service, the fruit of the Spirit, all of that. All, that's, that's massively important to have a right understanding of the Spirit. But what I'm contending for in today and in this series on the Holy Spirit is that we walk in a greater experienced understanding of. And experience of the Holy Spirit. My burden for this series, and when I say burden, I'm not weighed down with this, I'm really happy about what we're doing, but my burden is, is threefold. And one is more pastoral, and that's, I think, to clear up a misconception that walking with an awareness of or experiencing the Holy Spirit is some kind of graduated level Christianity. It's not. It's not. It is for every single believer, every single person that believes and puts their trust in Christ. This is basic. And I don't say that to shame you. I say that to encourage you. This is basic to our walk with Christ and in Christ, to know the Holy Spirit, to know his presence, to experience his empowerment, to live a life that glorifies Jesus. My second burden is probably more spiritual, and that's because I think in evangelical churches like ours, and I think we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we're more evangelical doctrinally and theologically, doctrinal knowledge or knowing the right things of the Holy Spirit is highly valued, and it should be. However, experiencing what we say we believe is sometimes devalued. experiencing, walking in the experience of what we say we believe about the Holy Spirit is take it or leave it. And it shouldn't be that way. And I want that to be obliterated through this series. And my third burden is more just in light of wanting renewal and revival, both personally for us here. I mean, you individually, you personally and corporately in our body, and then whatever God wants to do beyond that. Historically, revival has been largely marked, and one of the chief marks of renewal or revival is an awakened sense of God's presence. An awakened sense of God's presence, not not knowing that God is everywhere at all times, believing in his omnipresence, but an awakened sense of his manifest presence among us. And so I want to plow the ground and sow seeds and water the ground in view of this, because I want this here. I want this for you personally, for me personally in an increased way, and I want this for us corporately. Listen to this account uh, during the Welsh Revival. It just speaks of God's amazing and awesome presence and sense of his presence. The Welsh Revival was in 1904, 1905 in the island of Wales, where God showed up and did such extraordinary things. If you were to read an account of it, like an exhaustive account, uh, um, it might, you might your jaw just might drop and hit the ground. I mean, it's just it's stunning. But here's what one person said, gave an account. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. It pervaded, nay, it created the spiritual atmosphere. It mattered not where one went. The consciousness of the reality and nearness of God followed felt, of course, in the revival gatherings, it was by no means confined to the revival gatherings. It was also felt in the homes, on the streets, in the mines and factories, in the schools, and even in the theaters and drinking saloons. The strange result was that wherever people gathered became a place of awe. And places of amusement and carousal or revelry or sin were were practically emptied the pit bottoms and galleries became places of praise and prayer where the miners gathered to worship they dispersed to their several stalls even the children of the day schools came under the spell of God now that might sound grandiose okay I was, I was you know but personally and corporately and whatever God may want to do beyond that. Revival is when God shows up. I get together with a group of guys on Tuesdays and pray, some pastors of other churches and just uh, ministry leaders and just guys that can make it. And um, one guy, he says says all the time, he says revival is when God shows up. (laughs) And it's like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's when God shows up. There's no mistake. God is in the house. And so when revival hap- when God shows up, revival happens, whether it's personally in our homes, in a church, in a city, or in a nation. I want you to think about this. What would happen if we, or just ask yourself, if you started to become more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence? Or Let's put it this way. What would happen if we became more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence, individually and corporately? There's several things that would happen. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's some things I thought of. We would begin to live more holy lives. Did you know that? He is the Holy Spirit, Right? seems to make sense that if we knew him and and experienced him and encountered him and and were more aware of his presence before us and in us, that we would live more holy lives. Now, I don't mean rule-keeping, keeping a list, a strong, strict list of prohibitions and another list of disciplines that we need to start doing. But a life and lives characterized by righteousness, peace, joy in the Spirit, love, goodness, caring for others, compassion. That's what our lives would be characterized more by. What about this? We would be more in tune with the mind of Christ. We'd be more in tune with the mind of Christ. Our mind wouldn't be wandering here and there, just pulled by every, every, you know mental inclination that we have to complain or to do this or to do that, we would have the mind of Christ. We'd be more closely in tune with the mind of Christ. Jesus called the Holy Spirit our helper. NIV translates that counselor, someone who comes alongside us and helps us. And so we would be more in tune with the mind of Christ. First so Corinthians chapter two The very last verse of that chapter, I believe it's the very last verse, says we have the mind of Christ. But right before that, it's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the the, the natural man cannot discern the things of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has revealed the wisdom of God to us and we have the mind of Christ. And so when we become more aware of the Spirit and His presence, we will be more in tune with the mind of Christ. we would be more empowered for Christian service. We'd be more empowered, more strengthened, given a supernatural strength and power for Christian service. And I don't, I don't want to limit that to evangelism or to praying for the sick, just in the most general sense, of course those things. But being a Christian parent, being a, a Christian husband or wife, I'm pointing Christian before that. I mean, doing it God's way, we'd be more empowered to serve in the church, to witness to lost people. We'd be more strengthened to do that, to pray for people. We'd be more empowered to do that as we become more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence. Here's another thing: we would have spiritual desires stirred up in us to worship God to fellowship with God, to feed on his word. Why is there so, why is there such, I'm not saying among everyone or certainly most people, but among some people, why is there such a lack of hunger for God and his word who profess to be Christians? Largely, it's because there is no fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. We'd become... We would live more aware of God's great love for us. One way that you know that you may have right doctrine, but lack in just knowing this and experiencing walking in something is when you say, yeah, I know, but... Right? I know God loves me, but... When we are walking with the Holy Spirit, it's like this refreshing waters continually flowing to us and in us and out of us because Romans 5.5 5 says that the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God in our hearts. And I believe we would be more healthy all around. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He'll give life to your mortal, mortal bodies. So again, it's impossible to overestimate or overstate our conscious need of the Holy Spirit. Not just to confess that we're weak, but our conscious need of the Holy Spirit and our conscious experience and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want you to know that if you are a believer in Christ this is for you. It's not just for someone else. It's not just for everyone else, but it is for you. The very last verse of 2 Corinthians, the last thing Paul says to the people of Corinth is this. Now may the the, the grace of God and the love of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This koinonia, this, this intimate fellowship and walking with and doing life with the Holy Spirit. So, let's jump into Ephesians 1. And here's what I want to try to show you from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. is that the Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment to indwell those who believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment to indwell those who believe in Jesus Christ. So first, the Holy Spirit is a down payment from God of our full inheritance. Look at verse 14. It says, The Holy Spirit says, Um, you You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee? Other translations say deposit or down payment or earnest, an earnest payment. And I think that's the sense that we get here. This word seems to signify the idea of a deposit which guarantees a full amount. Not just a promise, this is part of the actual inheritance. We have this massive inheritance that is coming to us someday when Christ returns. We read about it in Revelation, we get glimpses of it, other places in the prophets, and other places in the New Testament. But it's massive, it's glorious, it's breathtaking. We can't get our minds wrapped around it, or our hearts wrapped around it. But, the Holy Spirit has been given to us, as a down payment of that future inheritance that we will receive. If I were to purchase a home for $100,000 and was going to put $10,000 down, I need to have the $10,000 to bring the closing. Right? I can't bring a note saying, I promise to give my $10,000 for a down payment sometime in the future. That's not the way it works. So, we've been given this down payment, this guarantee of our future inheritance in the Holy Spirit, something that's been given to us. It's not just a promise for you in the future, but it's part of the inheritance now. And if I were to come with a $10,000 check to the closing for a $100,000 home, you know what you need to do now? Maybe it wasn't this way a long time ago. I'm sure it probably wasn't, but now you have to bring a cashier's check. You can't just say, "Hey, I'm good for it. Here's my personal check." It's bring a cashier's check. They need to know the money's in the bank. You guys, the money's in the bank with God. He's given his down payment of the Holy Spirit. But what God gives us, I got ahead of myself a little bit, is not just a thing, it's not just an it or something, but it's a person. God has given himself through his Holy Spirit as this down payment. Now down payment, I kind of covered this earlier, but it's its something... If, if I have a down payment for a home, it's something you can touch and feel, it's something you can experience. It's part of the promise that I'm going to pay the rest later. Therefore, when God gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, it's not just some abstract thought that we ascend to, it's something that we are to know and experience. Like if I were to hand a banker a cashier's check. For 10,000 bucks. So the Holy Spirit is given as a down payment. The personal presence of God is given as a down payment. The presence of God has always distinguished God's people from the rest of the world. That among God's people, God is dwelling there. In a special way. We know that God is everywhere at all times. We know that He's omnipresent. You can never escape Him, whether you believe in Jesus or not. But among the people of God, God is in their midst in a special and dynamic way. The tabernacle in the wilderness signified this. God told Moses and gave him specific instructions build the tabernacle, do it like this, and I'm going to dwell there among you. And the people of God. What? They encamped around where God was. The temple in Jerusalem is the same principle. They congregated around the house of God. Later, God became a man in Christ. And in John 1, it says he dwelt among men, or he literally tabernacled among men. And with the ascension of Christ, The resurrection and ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people so that he could dwell among them. But it's even better than just dwelling among, it's even better that God dwells among us through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not just given to us or to be with us, but Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. In them not just with us. Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified, he said, you know the Holy Spirit for he has been with you and he will be in you. He's been with you. He's walked with you. You've experienced him. You've known him in a sense. He's been with you, but he's going to be in you. The new covenant promises that God will put his spirit in us. Or God says, "I will put my spirit in them." A verse that is structured very similar to our passage here in Ephesians 1 is 2 Corinthians 1:22. It says, "God has also put his seal on us and given us his holy spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit is a down payment from God of our full inheritance, not just to be with us, but to be in us. Now we need to know that this is a gift from God. One concern I have with with certain kinds of emphasis on the Holy Spirit is that you need to work up to something or you need to arrive at some level of spirituality or some level of obedience or whatever. And, and then God will graciously give you his Holy Spirit. I certainly think there's a sense where we, we want him. We, we come thirsty to drink from God. But we need to know that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift. The very last phrase of our text this morning says to the praise of his glory this is all to the praise of God's glory it's not to the praise of our effort it's not to the praise of our devotion it's to all to the praise of God's glory and this phrase to the praise of his glory is a phrase that's used two other places here in ephesians one except it adds one little extra phrase to the praise Of the glory of His grace. This is a gift from God. It's a gift for God's people from God. It comes through Christ. Peter, in his famous sermon on on the day of Pentecost, uh, toward the end of his of his sermon, he says, "Repent." and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't earn the Holy Spirit. You can't do enough to merit this gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift. All you can do is receive it. Now, I want to add something to that. The Holy Spirit is a gift for all believers in Christ. There is a prerequisite, okay? It's a gift for believers in Jesus. Not just some believers, but all believers in Christ. Again, look at our passage. In verse 13, it says, In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is this guarantee? So what? We heard the gospel. We heard the word of truth. And we saw our need of Christ. And we believed in him. And the Holy Spirit came and sealed us. And this was God's guarantee, his down payment of the future inheritance that we have. There's one prerequisite. It's this, it's faith. It's believing. It's believing in Christ. Not believing one time a long time ago, but believing in Him. Being a believer. Present tense. That's how we know and experience the presence of the Spirit. Being a believer. Knowing that when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, He died for our sins, to take them away, to reconcile us to God, to justify us, to give us eternal life. And to give us the Holy Spirit. To give us the Holy Spirit. You have to put that in there. And I want to go back to the quote I said earlier, about from George Smeaton. You might be able to say, this is the, the blessing, the gift, in which every other blessing and every other gift is included in this one. For what is it? God is coming to us. He's dwelling in us and among us. Praise God. This is for every believer. This is not for the high priest. Right? The high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies under the old covenant system once a year. The the other priest could go into the holy place and do their washings and their sacrifices. This is not for the high priest, for we are all now priests through Christ. This is not for the super spiritual You know, um, I won't go there, never mind. This is not for the ultra-mature Christian. This is for the believer in Jesus, whether you are the youngest in the room or the oldest. Whether you're the least mature or the most mature, this is a gift for you. Though all of this is true, many... And perhaps a surprising number of people do not live in the light of this revelation. Christians, people who believe in Christ, they don't, believe, they don't live in the light of this revelation and experience the Holy Spirit as a dynamic and daily reality. But it is our privilege. In fact, I think there's a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians uh, that I think are really helpful in this. 1 Corinthians 3:16 and 1 Corinthians 6:19 say almost the same thing I'm going to read both of them it says do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6:19 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? So apparently Christians bona fide, they believe in Jesus, their sins are forgiven. They're going to heaven someday. Apparently they can live and, and even have this and not know it. Paul says, Do, don't, you, don't you know? God's spirit lives inside of you. Don't you know your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know there is, you can live at a different place? Amen? I think those verses are very instructive to us. They're instructive, they're encouraging, they're challenging. Richard Lovelace, in his book on Holy Spirit renewal, says this. He uses a metaphor. Um, that I think is helpful. He says the typical relationship, now this was written, I don't know, 25 or 30 years ago. Um, there might be some changes since then, but I think this is still, um, might, might be pretty accurate. The typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between the husband and a wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof and the husband makes constant use of the wife's services but he fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate his relationship with her. So how do we turn this tide? Where do we go? How do we, how do we not be described in that way with the Holy Spirit? How do we receive and walk in these great benefits that I went through earlier of Knowing and experiencing and fellowshipping and walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The things I mentioned earlier about living a holy life and being more in tune with the mind of Christ and uh, knowing God's great love for us and walking in it. Well, just like a marriage or a friendship, our relationship with the Holy Spirit needs to be cultivated, He can't be ignored. Otherwise, we'll just we'll be like the Corinthians, and Paul could come to us, and he, he probably can come to us today and say, "Don't you, don't you know? Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy? Spirit. Don't you know that one one of those? I think it's uh, chapter three is probably talking more corporately. Don't you know that God's Spirit is in you, that you're God's temple, and His Spirit's in you? How do we cultivate this kind of relationship?" If you've ever gone through rocky time with your spouse, or or can recall a time where you had tough going with a, a friend or a relationship, you know that 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 there's cultivate. You need to cultivate that relationship. You need to go back to some of the basics. You need to, you know, there's some practical things you need to do. So I have a handful of things, or seven and i think if you do these things and if you do these things consistently if we do these things and we do them consistently i think it would change our lives and i don't want, i'm not i'm not saying that your life is bad i'm not that's not, i'm not putting that on you i'm not saying that you're in some, i'm not saying you're in a bad place with god i'm, I'm not saying that but i think we would experience a more dynamic sense of the nearness and presence of the spirit and empowerment to live where God wants us to and expects us to in the spirit. Number one, we need to believe in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. This is a gift that Jesus purchased for us much like forgiveness, forgiveness, much like reconciliation to God, you know what I do when I when I struggle and I don't feel forgiven. Is so I go back to the gospel, where I see by faith Christ crucified and risen for my sins. I I, I don't just I don't just turn inward. I can't to turn to God. I need to get I need to get my mind on truth. Uh, I don't I don't. You know, I don't just wallow in that. I mean, I I do. But thankfully, not forever. So believe in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And I'm saying that to all of us here, recognizing that most or maybe all here believe in Jesus. Be a believing believer. Believe in him today. That the Holy Spirit is a gift for you. The promise of the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit that is for you, just like forgiveness. And I would even say forgiveness is included in this. It's, it's part of receiving the Holy Spirit, walking in forgiveness. So receive the Holy Spirit today as you believe in Christ. Number two, make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the Holy Spirit. Make a deliberate effort <clears throat> At the outset of every day to turn your attention to the Holy Spirit, who's not just some fuzzy feeling. He's not just an it out there, but he's a person. Turn your attention to him. I would say if you are used to getting up in the morning and praying first thing, I would say do this first because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought to, Romans 8 tells us. I would say recognize, deliberately recognize, and turn your attention to the Holy Spirit first. If you normally get up first thing and read, read the scriptures, read a psalm or something like that, I would say do this first. For the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all the truth. He illuminates the scriptures to us. One thing you could do is to aid in this, is to meditate on scriptures and speak scriptures to yourself, truth to yourself about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I've, been, I've been doing that more consistently the last couple of weeks, just, just thinking about our new series coming up. is just, this is true. This is true. This is true about me. And I'm turning my attention to the Holy Spirit right now, consciously, At the outset of the day. Number three. This is important. This is really important. Repent. For grieving. The Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying. You know. Go all. Introspective on yourself. But as you know of things. And as God points them out. Attitudes complaining, anger, unforgiveness, um, unholy alliances in your heart, the things you put into your brain consciously that don't honor God. The Holy Spirit is a person, and Ephesians 4 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, just like your husband, your wife, your parent, your child, your best friend, can be grieved. And I sense that there's some who have not walked with the Holy Spirit for some time and you need to repent for grieving him. Number four, repent of quenching the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes and he wants to ignite our hearts on fire. And we just, sometimes we, we just douse him. We just put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. We just, that's what it means to quench. We just kind of, we just kind of pour cold water on what he wants to do in our lives he wants to bring about change in a certain area and we resist him. What are we doing? We're quenching what he wants to do. He wants to move in our hearts. He wants to change us. He wants to light our hearts on fire. And we're just like, nope. I'm going to put that out. Repent for quenching the Holy Spirit. Number five seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And some of these are going to, uh, this uh, I know for sure is going to be a message on its own, but I'm just going to quote a verse that you've heard before. We've said this many times here. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Seek his fullness. Say, Father, fill me with your spirit. Say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Just fill me, I pray. And even just say, Holy Spirit, I want, I want you your influence, your presence, your power to be filling me because I want to live not under the control of wine or anything else, but under your control. Seek his fullness. I don't know if you notice, but each one of these, and I'm not done yet, each one of these takes some deliberation, don't they? I mean it's not just I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out, I'm just gonna kinda. Meditate on some floaty thoughts up here. And I mean, all these takes, I, these take some deliberate steps. I wanna, I wanna walk with you, Holy Spirit. I, want, I wanna know you dwelling in me, changing me, empowering me. Number six, seek to live with the Holy Spirit in mind. Seek to be sensitive of the Holy Spirit. I was trying to think, okay, what does that look like? Well, you know, when I got married, <coughs> I started living with my wife in mind now. You know, I didn't, ju- I, I didn't go out and spend money like it was just mine. It was ours. I didn't, uh, I didn't go out to all, you know, do whatever I wanted to to all hours of the night because we're, to- we're together now. And when I had started having children... All of a sudden it's like, okay, now I'm living with them in mind. I mean, I do, I mean, every, we have five kids now. I mean, I I don't say this in a, in kind of a a blasphemous way, like we're not living for God, but every, I mean, almost everything we do takes into consideration our children. The money we spend, we got five kids, They're, they're expensive. I can't go spend money on, you know, going to the Hawkeye game yesterday. Um, I used to golf. And people ask me, Do you golf? I was like, oh, I used to, but I don't anymore. And I don't say that, and I don't say this in a negative way. So, you know, I got I got kids, you know. I mean, golf takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. And I don't have either one right now. So we live consciously with the Holy Spirit in mind. You're not your own anymore. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Don't you know the Holy Spirit dwells in you? and you've been purchased by God, and you're not your own, live with the Holy Spirit in mind. Bill Johnson wrote a book, um, I can't remember if it was hosting his presence or something like that, but just, just and it's, it's, it's a book kind of a, about this one point, but he says, you know, when the Holy Spirit came upon Christ, and it says it, it descended upon him and remained, he said, how do we be people where the Holy Spirit comes and remains? He talks about quenching the holy spirit and grieving the holy spirit but he but he also said if if a dove he gives us an analogy if a dove, dove landed on your shoulder and you wanted him to stay there what would you do you would take every step with the dove in mind right just you would take every step with the dove in mind with the holy spirit in mind live with the holy spirit in mind and number seven, this is last. Seek the Holy Spirit's help in everything. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, the helper won't come. I mean the the the, the explicit point in that text about this advantage that we have through the Holy Spirit is that the helper would come. The one would come one would come and help. Seek his help in everything, in everything. When you open up the Bible, seek his help. I know, sometimes, I know this is a daunting book, probably for a lot of us. I know, I know it's almost paralyzingly daunting for some. I, mean, I just know it is. Seek the help of the author, right, who dwells in you. When you pray, seek the help of the Holy Spirit who helps us because we're weak. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray like we should. Can we admit that? Okay. I don't know how to pray like I should. When I get on my knees to pray, I mean, my mind wanders here, it wanders there. I'm speechless. I'm like, okay, Lord, I know this situation, but I have no idea how to pray for it. We need the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. We need the Holy Spirit's help in sharing the gospel with others. There's a, a, a couple that I've, I've just, you know, been reaching out to the last few weeks. I run into them here and there. They're um, actually a homeless couple that live here in town, which I, you know, I'm, I've lived in Ankeny a long time. And I just, you, you don't see homeless people very often in Ankeny. And, um, you know, i share the just been sharing with them about God's love through Christ and the gospel and the cross and praying for them for various things and helping them in ways that, that I'm able to. And um, this last week I got together with them and it's not, nothing glamorous, okay? I mean, I, I'm. it was like the hottest day. Of the, you know, last week was really hot. And I got this long sleeve shirt on and jeans. And I'm sitting, thankfully it was in the shade, but I'm sitting outside talking. And I'm like, drop, sweat's dropping. I don't, I mean, I'm saying things to them, but it doesn't seem very eloquent to me. But I sense a new power. I mean, this time when I shared with them, I am shared with them, half a dozen times, talk with them, pray with them, seek to lead them to the Lord. And there just seemed to be a sense of God's presence there, a presence beyond just me. I'm thankful for that because I can't get a single person saved. I can't twist arms hard enough and do the snake bite thing hard enough to get someone to truly believe in Christ. I can get them to mumble prayer, perhaps, perhaps, but not to come to Christ for salvation. We need the Lord's, we need the Spirit's help to witness about Christ. We need the Spirit's help in ministering to people in a whole host of other ways. We need the Spirit's help to serve and minister in the church, whether it's with the children, whether it's up on the worship team, whether you're sharing a testimony, whether you're doing setup and teardown, whether you're helping with the young kids in the nursery, we need the Holy Spirit's help. I think that's what Peter had in mind in 1 Peter 4, when he said, as each one has received a gift, use it as a good steward of the grace of God, of the manifold grace of God. Let him who speaks, speak as it were the very utterances of God. Let him who serves, serve with the strength that God supplies so that in all things God would get the glory We need his help. Jesus says, apart from you, you can do nothing. When Jesus left, I think we can say, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And so we should not try to do anything apart from him. As we put these things into practice, I'm closing with this. As we put these things into practice, I think there's a level of consciousness that will grow and grow and grow. Just like if there has been, if, if you, just give me, the go with me with this analogy. Husband and wife living together and the husband has effectively ignored his wife for three years. One day of paying attention to her, all of a sudden their marriage is not flourishing. Right? I mean, it could. I mean, God could just, but it comes over time. And I think as we do these things, our consciousness of the spirit of God dwelling with us and in us will grow and grow and grow. Would you stand with me? There's nothing magical about this, okay? But I want you just to get in a receiving position from the Lord in your heart. Maybe you put your hands out if you want to do that or just lift up your, if you just want to close your eyes and lift your heart up to God. And some of these things, you know, I just want to, I just want to do right now. Okay? As I close in prayer, just want to go through some of these things. I mean, some of these things, you, you may just go home and you want to spend some time with God alone and get down to business with him and I encourage you to do that. Father, I thank you for the work of Christ by which we have been reconciled, forgiven, made new through his death and resurrection and by which the Holy Spirit has come to us and sealed us for the day of redemption. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's a down payment of our future inheritance, which will be glorious. But this down payment is glorious too. Awaken us, I pray, to this precious gift that has been purchased through Jesus. He paid the price when he said, it is finished. The price has been paid in full. He meant this, that the Holy Spirit has been paid in full for us to receive. God, I pray that you would help us every day at the outset of the day, the first thing in the day that we would begin by setting our attention toward you, directing our attention toward you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to forgive us for ways that we have grieved you, for ways that we have hurt you, for ways that we have uh, chased you off with our behavior and with our words and with our attitude, with our thoughts. We ask you to come afresh. We ask you to forgive us for ways that we have quenched you when you've wanted to work in our lives and you've started to do something and we just snuffed it out. We just said, No, I won't have that. We ask you to forgive us for that. We ask you to come afresh. And we want your fullness. We don't want to be drunk with wine, and we don't want to be drunk with worldliness. We don't want to be drunk with anger. We don't want to be we don't want to be drunk with unforgiveness. We don't want to be drunk with. Even with our marriages and our families, we want to be drunk, as it were, under your influence. And so we ask you to come and fill us afresh with your fullness that we would walk in it now and for the rest of our lives. Thank you, God, for this time in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the ultimate price for every gift that we receive from God, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Christ, to which we utter the amen. And we say that this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives. And may a day, and then a week, and then a month, and then a year of putting these things into practice, of practicing the presence of, of the Holy Spirit your presence Holy Spirit may a, a week a month a year of this may we experience a cumulative effect of walking in the light of your presence in the holiness of our lives bearing witness to you and the, the effect it would have on our marriages and our homes and our, raising our children and, the, and our witness to our neighbors and the empowerment that we have to live for you and to witness to you in power thank you God and I believe for that I believe for that. I believe for that today, for everyone here. And God, I I do pray. I do pray, God, for renewal and revival in our midst, that you would break out among us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.